Hello and welcome to the Liberty Hour of Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to Twitter and Facebook and eventually we'll get other streaming places. It's on KKNW when we've got podcasts later. Um, this is kind of our new format. It's very exciting. This Liberty Hour, I've got Bob Reynolds with me. Say hey, Bob. Say hey, Bernadette. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. So Javier's uh, got the night off here. Bob is here being co-host and, and you know, it, it's so exciting to be working with him. This Liberty Hour is going to be Washington State focused where Bob still is. And I'm I'm still heart is there as well as the, my body's in Tennessee, but I still love all my peeps in Washington State. Um, so the Liberty Hour, Bob, is going to be focused on what's going on litigation, legislation, election results we can talk about, um, and, and all those sort of issues. We're hoping that this becomes um, an hour that folks in Washington know they can tune into and will keep them up to date on the medical freedom movement in the state. That's our goal. Um, we do encourage um, individuals to send us um, medical freedom news items. We would love that. Just email us at informchoicewa.org. You can go to the contact page or just contact at works, informchoicewa.org. Um, this show is um, fully funded by listeners, by Informed Choice Washington donors. And we are so grateful for that. Ever since we went on the air, I forget how many, a couple of years ago, it's been donors keeping free speech on the airwaves. We've been able to say ivermectin, the masks don't work, the COVID shots are dangerous on the airwaves, free speech through all of this. And we're so grateful to KKNW and this platform, but it's, it's a real radio station. So, you know, there's real costs involved. So we do appreciate that continued support uh, for this. Okay. So, um, oh, the views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of KKNW or Informed Chase Washington. Um, you know, we're just bringing you information and interviews so that you can make informed decisions in your life. Now, we're having a bit of a technical difficulty here. We've got a, a calling guest. Um, Brian Ward is coming on. So I'm going to pass this interview over to Bob to make sure it gets done because I'm not sure I'm going to be able to hear. So Bob, uh, you go ahead. Oh, almost there. It says he's not quite ready to bring him on. He'll give us the heads up then when we, um, when he, give us a little introduction. Tell us about what Brian's going to be talking about and who he's with. I will give it a try, Bernadette. Yeah. Uh, so found out just through a social media post uh, a person named Brian Ward was touting this lawsuit filed in Washington. Didn't make the splash and any other headlines, of course. And it's a lawsuit uh, against Inslee and PeaceHealth. And PeaceHealth is a hospital chain here in Southwest Washington, also in Oregon. And some uh, people finally got organized. Uh, as an activist group, we had a bunch of health workers reaching out to us as they were getting excluded from work starting in mid-2021, maybe even early. And people just didn't want to be coerced to get the shots and uh, 
just didn't like the way that the healthcare system was handling COVID in general. And they didn't want to be part of that. They felt like they wanted to leave, leave work. So we've been reaching out. I'm kind of trying to set the table in general for what the legal world is like, the legal landscape as we've seen it. And that is lots of people were being harmed, but there was no uh, organization. They tried to organize. There were a thousand workers let go from the Peace Health organization in total. That's according to a person I know. And, and it just took a while for the damages to mount, I guess. And now so that we're the unfortunate part about legal world is you can't file a lot of preemptive lawsuits or while the damages are happening, you have to experience the damage. And I think Brian Ward, if we can get him on air, he'll be able to tell us how he's been organizing some workers to get a, a legal suit going. Wonderful. And it looks like um, we might have him. So let's see if we can bring uh, Brian Ward on. Great greetings. Ah, we can hear you. How are you, Brian? I am doing well. How's everybody doing in Washington and here? Yes, we're doing very well. <laughs> Thanks to individuals like you who are uh, not giving in to tyranny and taking action. <laughs> Well, thank, well, thank you, you, and I appreciate both of you for having me on tonight. That's great. So, Brian, I'll just lead off with some questions, I guess. Uh, so, I have you down as a litigation consultant. And so, I guess, you know, we're not giving legal advice, of course, but uh, you filed many suits now uh, as part of a team. And maybe, can you tell us about the first suit you filed and, and how you got to that point? Um, Bob, I think we're going to have to pause on that question because Nathan's having trouble with the, the audio. So he said two more minutes and then we'll bring um, Brian Ward back on. Okay. okay. Well, uh, so Brian has been pretty, uh, I can do some of the groundwork here then is Brian okay. has been working on a, a basically a presence on the web called covidpenalty.com. Mm-hmm. Title, and, uh, Looking at his bio, he's been in deep research for a couple of years now, just getting legal complaints down on paper, figuring out what it takes to get a suit written. Mm. He's, he's retired, had enough time, had very good you know, technical background, understands complex issues. And he's been just pen to paper for a long time and finding finally found a lawyer to, hey, Brian, are you back on? Hello? If Brian's on, just go ahead and uh, let us know when you're back on, Brian. Yeah, we're not hearing him at all. So I'll we'll let Nathan keep working on that for us. Um, so go ahead, Bob. Did you have more to elaborate on yeah, that? I can, or- I, can still, I can still give a summary here. And, and the fact is uh, he found, I think it was 64 plaintiffs to start with in the, play, in the Peace Health area. This is in regards to Washington, but now he's filed a suit, similar suit in Oregon against Peace Health and another suit against Kaiser, I believe in, uh, no, um, UC Health, UC Health in uh, California. And so, uh, in, in two other states, I think he's got uh, maybe a case in Utah, definitely Colorado. Mm-hmm. So we'll bring up that website maybe when you get a chance. Okay. Which one, which website was that, Bob? I've got the oh, oh, covidpenalty.com. Covidpenalty.com is Brian's website. Okay. I have got that. I will bring that up. Thanks. Hey, Brian, are you back online? I, I'm here. 
Hey, I can hear you a little louder. That's better. Oh, great. I was trying to give a quick introduction, and I probably went a little too far. But my general question to you is, you know, how, how did you arrive at one of your first uh, suits filed? Or, you know, tell us a little bit about the background of, of yourself and how you got to where this set of cases we have on screen for our video viewers. We do have your website, covidpenalty.com up. Well, thank you. Well, the 32nd story of a very long version is that for the last 30 years, I've worked in corporate America solving complex problems. I've worked on multi-billion dollar projects across several industries. And in October of 21, a number of officers in the Air Force, high-ranking officers, reached out to me for my help uh, specific to the COVID issue. And I started researching. And then in the fall of 2022, or maybe a little sooner, um, a num- I don't know how they found out about me, but a number of nurses in Washington at Peace Health reached out to me for help. And uh, probably because one of their husbands was was in the military. And so I hadn't looked at the healthcare industry, to be honest with you, but I looked at it, started researching it, and discovered a plethora of laws that were being violated by Peace Health, um, according to my opinion, <clears throat> and uh, spent probably another five or 600 hours researching it. And then in um, October of last year, when they couldn't find legal counsel, no one was taking my research and running with it. A number of people said, Brian, you should do this. And of course, I'm not a licensed attorney, so I can't just file a lawsuit. But I said, you know what? I am a project manager. I can find attorneys. I can help. Um, I can be the subject matter expert, and I could just make it happen. And so that's what's happened. Um, I went to uh, meet with some attorneys in January, and the long story short was, Brian, your research is amazing. How do we sue with it? And, and so it took me a couple of months learning the legalese of, of the various legal theories on how to bring this type of a lawsuit to bear. And thankfully, in April of this year, I met up with a wonderful attorney out of Louisiana who has 30 years of trial experience in federal courts. And he actually reached out to me and said, Brian, I've been reading your research. We should meet. We met. Uh, we spent a solid month learning from each other in He and I are now filing lawsuits, and when I say he and I are filing, I'm the subject matter expert. He's the attorney. Um, We involve local counsel, obviously, in the various states, but we have now filed lawsuits against Houston Methodist in Texas, UC Health in Colorado, Kaiser in California, Peace Health in Oregon and Washington, and um, also another entity called the South Denver Cardiologist Associates in Colorado, and the next lawsuit we'll be hitting this month will be Kaiser in Oregon and in Washington. And then we have a couple of places. Oh, Shriners. Shriners Hospital. We filed against Shriners in uh, what state was that? It's Spokane, Washington. There's so many states now. Yeah, yeah. Spokane, Washington. Washington. Thank That's you very exactly much. Right. And, we, and, and typically, because these are what they call 1983 lawsuits, these lawsuits focus on the, the deprivation of constitutional rights. That's the focus on it. So that's what makes these different from a lot of the other ones. We don't argue religious freedom uh, because none of the authorities had lawful authority to mandate the use of these products. It's about as illegal as you can get. And so because of that and because these are state actors, whether they're a private hospital or a government such as a governor or mayor, uh, they don't have – they owe a constitutional duty to you and I. And that constitutional duty – 
uh, as it relates to these cases, our two primary focuses. Number one, the equal protection of laws. So we have a law that says you have the option to accept or refuse, and they're only violating, they're only depriving or penalizing, I should say, the person who's refusing. So that's a clear deprivation of equal protection rights. And secondly, due process. Uh, you can't just, you, you know, I don't want to get too deep into the law, but I can tell you that a state-issued license, a medical license, is considered a property right, and you can't deprive a person of their property right without due process. Number two, as soon as they mandated the use of these products um, because they're underneath the PrEP Act, PrEP Act, they stripped the individual of their due process rights to seek judicial relief if they incurred an injury. And, and these are conversations that have not been made in courts outside of our lawsuits, and they are, they are significant because we're talking about concepts here. You know, take away the vaccine mandates, but as a concept, can you force a person to give up their rights, a legal authority conferred upon them by a valid act of Congress? Can you say you have to give that up um, to, to enjoy a privilege of the state? And, you know, you look back through 200 years of Supreme Court case law, and the answer is irrefutably no. And so these are fun lawsuits, in my opinion, because unlike the, the EEOC lawsuits or the Title VII discrimination lawsuits, these are not subjective. These are matters of law uh, that are black and white, and it's easy for a court to see. And I could just tell you one encouraging development is this. Out of all of the lawsuits that we have received the defendant's motions to dismiss, which they all file one, right? Um, they're just hoping. None of them are claiming that they had the right to issue the mandate as applied. So none of them are saying they had the right to require a person to inject the unlicensed product inside their body uh, to enjoy a privilege of the state. And in fact, they are avoiding that conversation wholeheartedly. So, so anyway, that's my story, and, and that's the focus of these lawsuits. That's hey. tremendous. It makes me so happy. You just, you can't imagine how happy that makes me because it's getting down to the fundamentals here. If we're going to continue as a great republic with freedom, you're spot on. This is exactly what we have to establish because what you're doing means never again. You cannot do this to us. And I, I just applaud you for, for finding this. And I have found it so infuriating that um, it seems like the law hasn't mattered. It's like the political, if you don't have the political will to enforce the law, the law doesn't matter. But we're figuring it out with individuals like you and great attorneys, really how to take the law back that has been there. Um, so this is exciting, Bob. Uh, I don't know if you can summarize it for a radio audience, but uh, what are the reasons that they are trying to dismiss your cases? Well, yes, that would be difficult because they're only they well, they're all over the road. But I can tell you that they're all focusing on what they call technicals of lawsuits. Um, they're not getting into the merits of the case. I will tell you that in Oregon, the Oregon Attorney General just filed the motion to dismiss on behalf of former Governor Kate Brown and the Oregon Health Authority um, Director Patrick Allen, who we are suing as part of the Peace Health lawsuit. And they, well, they did a couple of things. Number one, they made up arguments as if the plaintiffs claimed those in the complaint and then replied to those arguments. It was a fictitious thing. It's 
uh, all of us who are involved are looking at this going, it, the attorneys are saying, Brian, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never seen this before. Uh, number two, the attorney general office literally said in their motion to dismiss that these products were not investigational. Now, that is about as irrational as a claim as one can make because in our complaint, which is, was nearly 140 pages, we provided the FDA classification, the publication of that classification as in the Federal Register, and the emergency use authorization by the FDA requiring the manufacturers to submit to an investigation of new drug application. So it's irrefutable. And it's, it's unbelievable that they would just sit there and say these are not um, investigational. And the reason they're doing that is because the, the state executives, the, the way they're hoping to get out of these lawsuits is called qualified immunity. And so they will tell the court, we have qualified immunity, and therefore we can't be sued. Well, in order to qualify for qualified immunity, two things have to occur. Number one... You can't have um, deprive someone of their constitutional protections. Number two, you have to be operating within your discretionary functions as that um, officer, public officer of your office. And so because these are investigational drugs and because you, the individual, have the right to refuse these products without consequence and because they did apply penalties for those who refused, we we. we demonstrate a clear deprivation of rights, constitutional rights. Number two, because we have, and I, and I don't want to get into this because this is technical, but because of the supremacy clause doctrine of our Constitution, um, which maintains that the Constitution is the supreme um, rule of the, lo- uh, the land, and because of the express language in the PREP Act that says all state laws are preempted, so that they can't use them. No one has authority to create, establish, or continue in effect with any law that would interfere with this program. Um, it demonstrates that the governor, the mayor, the school board, whoever, they lacked 100%, they lacked all authority to establish any mandatory participation or to even write one tittle of a regulation involving these programs and these products. So, in effect, the the former uh, Governor Kate Brown in, uh, in Oregon and Governor Inslee, they were preempted um, prospectively by the U.S. Congress um, from having any authority or taking any authority to establish conditions that conflict with the program, of which they did. Um, in Oregon, I could tell you that they established a fine of $500 per day per violation which, um, even though it's a civil fine, now we're violating the Eighth Amendment because even though the Eighth Amendment pretty much only applies to criminal uh, fines, when a civil fine is used to punish, then the Supreme Court says it comes under the purview of the Eighth Amendment. So, you know, it's the only state we're arguing the Eighth Amendment right now, but it was so pervasive there, it was unbelievable. And in, in Washington... Um, I don't remember all the specifics because I get confused after you do so many of these different policies. (laughs) But when Governor Inslee issued his mandate, his mandatory participation, um, he just lacked authority for that. He he has none. He had none. It does not exist. Um, And so what he is arguing is that someone in his position would not have known that they could not mandate the use of those products. (laughs) Yes, he's got an AG office with thousands of lawyers helping him. Yes, and so 
Um, we haven't filed our opposition yet, and so I don't want to get into it yet until we do. Um, we have until the end of this month to file it, and we will have to take all that time simply because we're so busy with so many other activities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could just tell you that uh, the Supreme Court, um, you know, it's not going to let them off the easy that uh, off the hook that easy. Um, the Supreme Court has said basically, as long as you were given fair warning, and fair warning is like a speed limit on the side of the road, right? You may have been driving, you may not have paid attention, but you were given fair warning, even though you didn't take time to look for the speed limit. So when they give you that ticket, um, they have the authority to do it. Um, you will have to pay it if you are speeding yeah. because you were provided fair warning. Well, the law is fair warning. There's case precedent that gave him fair warning. Um, whether or not he was engaged in willful ignorance, and that's in quotes, you know, that's his prerogative. Mm-hmm. So, well, there but, is you know, some, there is some uh, FOIA request or PRR requests that uh, radio show host in Seattle uh, uncovered that almost show and prove that he knew these shots didn't stop transmission, yet went ahead with mandates anyway. But that's probably outside your case. And there was there were also um, public records requests that were found that showed Inslee asking his attorneys, in essence, to make religious exemptions so um, difficult to get to word them in such a way that people most people wouldn't qualify, you know, because basically putting them through a litmus test. Have you ever had a vaccine before? Do you take other pharmaceutical products, all this other stuff to you where you had to try to prove, which was completely against all the laws, um, you know? Well, I do. I do remember one thing about his policy that just pops up in my head that makes his unique from all others across America. And I'm involved in a lot of actions at you know the state level. It, one of the things that was unique about his policy, and you could tell that they were trying to create a backdoor out for him, plausible deniability, as they call it, is that at the end of his policy, it said that any person has the authority to disregard any aspect of this policy that's in violation of federal law, state law or any regulation or the Constitution. So the policy itself was a violation of all of those things. Um, and so that's his plausible deniability. However, 1,900 state employees were either terminated or constructively terminated because of his policy. Wow. So it demonstrates that he established a state custom, as they call it. So uh, the custom having the force of law, even though it is not the law. That's the and, phrase of under the color of law, and that is not yes. a good thing. Yeah, this this Acting is all, as if there's a law, but there's not. This is all so fantastic, and I, I, I for one, I want to make sure I follow you more and the work that you put out to better understand these rights, because we know that they're attempting to set up the infrastructure to do this again and again and again. Um, one of the things we're going to be showing a little bit uh, later, Brian, on this show is the Board of Health met. Was it just yesterday, Bob, or the d- day before? Wednesday, two days ago. Um, and they had a presentation by the Department of Health, and they there's something called um, foundational public health that they've been trying to establish since 2018. It began with an initial funding of $6 million dollars in Washington, an annual $6 million in Washington state in 2018. Um, Their new budget for 2024 is $162 million a year. So this is the, yeah, the, the weaponization, the militarization of public health 
to be in every aspect of your life because everything is considered now a public health problem, you know, from from gun violence to, to climate change. And so, you know, they really yeah. attempt to go, they want to, using the tool of public health, they want to go after all of our rights, surveillance, you know, uh, keep us from doing what we want to do. But these lawsuits here sound as if what they're going to do is really firmly show, no, you cannot violate in the name of public health. You cannot violate our constitutional rights. Well, one of the things that, you know, I'm a strategist at heart. That's what I do. And I realize that even though these lawsuits will establish precedent, that they take a long time to to, to finalize, even even with the the approach we're taking. So starting this month, I have been working with lawyers developing a uh, template for lawyers to use to seek a declaratory judgment in injunctive relief against current mandates, whether the mandates um, apply to a COVID shot or the influenza vaccines, because both are illegal to mandate right now. And so I can tell you that starting this month and going mm -hmm. into December, uh, lawyers across the nation will be filing those in federal courts um, throughout the land to help educate the courts and to start getting positive results. And so these are not monetary damages claims, but what they do is they will establish court precedent. And listen, there's only so long, you know, you start having some of these significant court battle wins, these 65,000 trial lawyers, one day are just going to say, you know what, there's just too much money to ignore. <laughs> and so, but, so my desire is to plow the field. That's mm -hmm. what I want to do. I want to, I want to work with these lawyers to help plow the field to get these deck actions ruled on. And in a deck action, particularly one with an injunctive relief, they take weeks um, at best 60 days to resolve. Mm -hmm. So these aren't, you know, six months or 12 months. These are happening quickly. A lot of times they're 15 days in federal court um, to have a ruling from the district court. Hmm. Hey, Brian, are you still seeking yeah. uh, plaintiffs? For what? Or uh, are you looking for any to add any plaintiffs to any of these cases? Or how can we help you here mm -hmm. in Washington, Oregon area? Well, I appreciate that. I am. Uh, we are. <laughs> we've come to the end of our resources um, across the board: time, um, sanity, money, <laughs> and so we've realized that we have to just start clamping back. We have compassionate hearts, and that's probably my biggest negative thing. I know that sounds like a positive thing, but you got to learn to say no. Mm -hmm. And so we have, we actually have, I can't tell you, I can tell you we have another significant lawsuit that will be filed at the end of this month in Washington, two of them actually. And one of them will be against a major city. <clears throat> and because we want to use that as a template for others to understand how to go and start suing their cities. And so a lot of the act activities that I have undertaken, I have undertaken from the desire to help create a blueprint for other law other law firms to run with. And listen, lawyers can run circles around me. So I don't want to convey the idea that I know more than anyone else. I just have a gift for research, for critical thinking, in the application of the knowledge that I acquire. And so that's what I have done. I've looked at all angles and realized that the constitutional angle is the strongest because it's not subjective. It's black and white, and it's virtually impossible to defend against. 
Beautiful. Um, we're showing um, our audience now and for the listeners, um, you do have a give, send, go fundraiser going all one word and yeah. the mandate and the mandate on give, send, go. So, you know, we do encourage, of course, we want donations to inform choice Washington, but you know, we support people doing great work as well. So if you want to fund what Brian Ward is doing and keep him going so he can, you know, keep being that expert advice to these great lawyers, uh, please consider um, giving. Um, nobody in our movement is funded through normal channels these days, right? We all have to um, to help each other out and be there. So end the mandate, all one word, at Give, Send, Go. Well, thank you so much for that plug. And I appreciate y'all having me on here tonight. It is 6.30 where I live, and I have a wife who's waiting for me inside of a restaurant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and for your time and, and keep us posted with updates if you can. All right. Thank you all very much for having me. Thanks thank so you. much, Brian. Great bye talking bye. to you. All right. Bye-bye. Oh, he's awesome. Oh, that's so <laughs> wonderful. Uh, I don't believe he's in our state, but he's helping our state out. It's wonderful. He's wonderful. A couple of lawsuits here against the governor and everything that is really exciting. And like I said a couple of times, Bob, it's this is what it takes. We maybe I'm so happy we're figuring out how to get our freedoms back and get that structure back that we need that's been so violated. Um, I I believe in freedom. I believe we're going to get her done and uh, become this great nation again of individuals. Um, really pulling it off so and and i'm gonna i'm gonna bring up again the um that slide that i talked about it i had it up just briefly where did it go the um foundational public health yeah the amount of money because i want to i want to point that out it's just really frightening to me how much money is going into this um what exactly is it being spent on um yeah it does then, have a breakdown has a breakdown of which money is going to where like 20% is still for preventive vaccine programs. Like yeah. they didn't have enough money already to repeat what the CDC is telling us to do. Yeah. But they started off in, in, in 2018 with just $6 million, 2019, 9 million. Huh? Share it. Hello. Can you please share it? Oh yes. I'm sorry. Ha <laughs> ha. I thought I was sharing. I'm over on another tab looking. Yeah. So yeah, let me see if I can make that. Uh, you make a it a little bigger. bigger. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. For the online viewers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, 2018, six million. The next year, nine million. Next year, 14 million. And then again, 14 million in 21. Jumped to 63 million dollars in 2022. Probably some COVID money injected in there. And then in this year, 112 million. And they're projecting for the next two years, $162 million will be spent on this foundational public health services. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's astounding to me. And I, I want to show you something else. Now, I'm a person who really does believe, you know, that you deserve to get good compensation for, um, for a day's work, right? But, you know, we're talking about public money. So I was curious who made what. So I went and found um, Washington state money. And as of 2022, the um, chief science officer of Washington state makes $314,000, 314, 800 a year. 
the Secretary of Health uh, makes $314,000 a year. Uh, the chief um, epidemiologist, Scott Lindquist, makes $244,000 a year. So you can see all of the people who make, and then we'll go down to 195, 197. But when you, you scroll through the wages, you begin to add all of these up. I mean, it just, let me see if I can figure out how to go um, beyond. I can't figure out how to, it's not scrolling for me. Um, but we don't need to show all that uh right now anyway but the amount of money on just <laughs> on just the wages and then what about the buildings and the electricity and the fuel and the cars and the paper and the computers and the electron i mean the amount of infrastructure i get we get how much of that money actually does something to improve the health of individuals. And you've got to believe that within that $162 million, they don't have a single penny devoted to telling anybody about vitamin D hmm. or iodine, <laughs> right? You know, it's just, it's just crazy to me um, what they are not showing. I'm so, so used to looking Bernadette at the uh, misinformation that we spot on their website. I haven't looked for any natural health recommendations. Call it D, call it. Oh, vitamin. no. About the the only thing they seem to do fairly well is they do promote breastfeeding. Although now it I cringe every time I read it because they use I don't want to even repeat the terms. Right. And of course, you know, they're saying, spoken. you know, yep. pregnant persons and all this. Uh, you know, you I, yeah, sorry, I did say that one. <laughs> I'm I, you know, it's just I I just cannot I, it it's sort of like masks were the framework to put people in, in states of compliance to obey and comply no matter how ridiculous something is and get used to having to do something to get on a plane, to keep a job, all of that. I feel like this language is trying to get us used to doing the absurd, to make us afraid to speak up, right? And, and they're impacting the future. Now, Somebody recently said that there's there's biology, there's sex, which is biology, and then there's your mental attitude to who you are sexually attracted to. Somebody who's a fe biological female is a woman and can have babies. A biological male can help create the baby, but they can't have the baby. <laughs> and this has nothing to do with their sexual preference. I think your se sexual preference is your personal choice I mean, not your sexual, you know, how you think about yourself, how you want to dress, who you want to, you know, go into partnership with as an adult, that's your choice, right? But to change the language for everybody doesn't make sense. And I feel like it is just attempting to divide us, to confuse our children, to create more mental health issues. Um, it, it's just wrong. So, I mean, there we are. There's my, sorry, my, <laughs> getting out my high horse there. Um, yeah. So, you know, the board of health, sboh.wa.gov is their website. And you can always go look if you missed their, um, I'll go ahead and share this tab. If you, if you missed their meeting, you can always attend virtually or now in person again, but you can go and you can get their, their agenda. You can get the meeting packets. You can read all the public comments that were submitted. Um, the TVW you know, recording. 
the TBW recording of it, you can go see. So you can be informed what they're talking about and then let your voice be heard. And at this point, uh, you know, someday when they do get called up, Bob, before a judge and jury, they cannot claim they did not know that fluoride is toxic, um, harms IQ. They cannot claim they didn't know that the COVID shots don't prevent infection transmission and that they increase your risk of catching COVID and that they come with horrific, unacceptable levels of harm. To have been um, bombarded with mountains of this information and not lift a single finger to do anything about it or speak about it. I don't know what would be worse, the fact that they ignore it and think we're all crazy and they don't explore it, or if they're exploring it behind the scenes and finding out it's true, but then they're not saying anything. Well, I think that's maybe part of their salary, their compensation is enough perhaps to get them over the hurdle and and having to deal with the difficult public and some of these uncomfortable truths. Yeah. They still have to, they just have to follow the narrative and the mantras of public health. Public health is a weird animal. Yeah. I just don't understand how you can get in that mindset where you're going to have to lie to people in some, some ways. Right. And all they had to do, Bob, you know, as vaccination rates go down, which they will, yes, I will make that bigger. As, uh, um, as people learn the truth, you don't have to fear. You can, you, you, tell people about iodine and vitamin D and fresh air and sunshine and love and, you know, herbal remedies and chiropractic care and all of the, there's no reason to fear these infections they want us to fear. And, you know, they need to start serving us um, and have those vaccines be a tool that has full liability on the tool maker. And the person who injects them needs to start giving fully informed consent. But yeah. Anyway, well, we're going to focus on, um, so this Peace Health lawsuit we're looking at now from the Silent Majority Foundation, we're going to have Pete on in a couple of weeks, um, maybe next week or the week after, I, I can't remember for sure. Um, but is this similar to the Peace Health lawsuit that um, our, our guest was just talking about, that Brian was talking about? It's the same health hospital organization. It's the same, uh, you know, managed healthcare and, and hospital system. But a but different lawsuit? A different angle. Different, different lawsuit, different angle. That's what. Okay. And so they're starting to mount against this particular chain. And from what I understand, and I've got some colleagues, I've got some uh, some former workers there. They played hardball. They really played hardball. I mean, it mm. might have been worse at some other hospital chains, but I call it a chain. But this is a chain. There are uh, at least three major peace health hospitals that I know of down here in Southwest Washington and Oregon. Mm-hmm. And so this one, uh, yeah, this notice here. Do you want me to go into it? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, I'll just fake being a lawyer for a moment. Okay. But, uh, try to interpret what Pete Serrano's put out uh, from Silent Majority Foundation, and they've get engaged in this lawsuit against Peace Health because they were unfairly denying uh, religious exemptions and, but basically, not accommodating mm-hmm. the employees in a fair way. And so, this is uh, an uh, intermediate win that they're announcing. And so, of course, the government, uh, the governor, and Peace Health filed motions to dismiss. And I think Governor Inslee was dismissed from this suit on some of the basis that Brian Ward was just talking about, some of that qualified immunity. But uh, in this case, the the one uh, aspect of denying the case uh, was basically tossed out. The judge said, no, this case can move forward. 
So there are various levels of complaints and, and the, the, the core complaints in this lawsuit were upheld. So there were some, maybe some more uh, of a reach in the complaints that were actually tossed out, but still this case moves forward on its main points in my opinion. That is very exciting. Very glad to hear. Um, I'm going to bring us next then to uh, Dr. Turner's. Uh, we've had Dr. Turner on the show. Can you tell us what's going on there? There's his website. Was there something about a lawsuit that you were going to update us on? Uh, no, not on this one. Uh, okay. Sorry, but no, he's been uh, getting more national play. He was on the FLCCC a couple of weeks ago in Go their ahead. national broadcast. And so he's getting some support. Uh, the case is, all these cases are moving slowly. Yeah. But they are moving. It hasn't been dismissed. And uh, yeah, he's he's in two cases mm -hmm. with the Majority Foundation against the WMC. I think both of them are against the WMC. Yeah. And his, his website here is, um, I'm trying to see what the website address isn't showing for me. Um, oh, this is just at the silent majority. That's why. Right, right. Um, yeah. Yeah, you can dig um, into the details. The, the website, uh, they're starting to put on Silent Majority Foundation a little more uh, a posting of the various filings as the case progresses. Oh, good, good. Bring that forward so you don't have yeah. to go get a, a paid account on one of the PACER legal forms. Oh, that's good. And, and so it is important to know that the Silent Majority Foundation is a nonprofit law firm. Um, and they're they're doing what they can. And they do rely on funding to bring these great um, cases forward. And they are so important because as we were saying with the last, with Brian Ward, the work that he's doing is important to bring back the foundations of this nation. If we don't want it repeated, what happened to us, we can't just let it go. We've got to go get these cases won so that this cannot be perpetrated on anybody again. And Dr. Turner is one who has sacrificed so much he gives and gives. He has been such a huge help to the um, injured community. Just would she he spends hours and hours and hours helping them. Um, and and then he's lost so much um, professionally. You know, it's got to be such a difficult toll on him. So we admire him and, and all of these individuals for standing up for what's right, even though it's it's costing them personally and um, professionally. Um, I've got another uh, website, Bob, that you shared with me that you wanted to talk about today, the, the Washington Civil Rights Council. Um, and that is our wonderful Victoria, is it not? Yeah, she's part of that. Victoria well Palmer. As, uh, there's a Larissa who also heads up that organization. It's changed hands a couple of times, but mm -hmm. right now it's, it's Larissa and Victoria who are uh, you know, managing the organization as its nonprofit, but they have affiliations with some lawyers or some people with really good legal advice, almost like a Brian Ward giving uh, litigation counseling. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to help workers go into court on a, a pro se basis, meaning they didn't have like a paid lawyer sitting next to them. They were able to file the paperwork to get the court case heard, to get back pay, to get justice from the courts without having a lawyer. Wow. Uh, I know. And so we covered this in our newsletter a couple weeks ago okay. when it was announced. And so the, it, it's all on them. They've done a great job. I hope that the, the employees who got their justice were are happy and, and feel like justice was served. Yeah. But me, I, I, I believe that there should be more punitive damages attached to all these things so this doesn't happen again. I mean, yes. how many people lost their livelihoods for something that 
we can take reasonable precautions, but just stop abusing the people, stop discriminating. Mm -hmm. And these people have faced, I mean, I, I skated by, I was able to not work in a workplace. I could be remote mm -hmm. um, in the first place, but mm -hmm. there's so many people who, who were discriminated. We got so many calls on our phone line, Bernadette from people yeah. just desperate for help. And we didn't have legal resources. So we basically just told them what we knew about the law. And yeah. And our, our wonderful Lisa Templeton, and I, I forgive me, I forget who was helping her with that page, continued to populate a legal page for us during the bulk of COVID with, you know, like a link to, um, to Pete's, uh, Pete's, uh, I just have gone blind, Silent Majority Foundation, the Pacific Justice Institute, um, anything that we could find to help at least point them in the right direction to get the help they needed and let them know their rights. I mean, we tried to support as much as we could, but you're right, you know, Informed Choice Washington does not have a legal team, um, but we tried to to play that um, kind of matchmake if we could to help get people. But what I the, the cool thing about this, um, the Washington Civil Rights Council and the individuals being helped to file their own papers and to successfully, um, you know, get some pay and maybe get their jobs back. It's a little bit like us learning that we can take our health back. We need to know our legal rights so that we don't always feel um, that we have to go find somebody we can't afford, like a, find an attorney. I mean, I used to not like attorneys, but now we've got so many good attorneys. I'm back in love with the law and attorney, the good attorneys. Um, just like I love our good doctors, you know, I so admire them, but I also want to be more empowered legally to so I cannot, I, you know, I don't feel like I can be trampled on if we knew our rights. And if people, this whole thing could have so not happened if people knew then what they now know now, and they had had that courage. Can you imagine, Bob, if the beginning of all this, we all just had the courage to say no, to stand up to the bosses, to stand up to the person at the door of the grocery store trying to kick you out to, to just really knowing our rights and refusing, they wouldn't have been able to do any of this. It funny can't. you say that. Yeah. Funny you say that. In fact, Brian Ward just posted on his Twitter, uh, God's riddles. He's at God's riddles on Twitter. It's pretty fun. He has a little more fun on that channel. Yeah. He just posted if people would have filed notices of liability with their employers before they started to roll these workplace mandates out, the businesses probably would have, uh, that's just like saying no in a legal fashion mm -hmm. by showing these notices of liability. If you injure me with this, you will pay because yeah. nothing else is really available to me to be paid if I get mm -hmm. injured. Mm -hmm. And so the, timely that you would mention that and that right. you would mention that, but that's now it's passed, but maybe people have learned and hopefully future generations will understand that tactic, yeah. which has been successful in a couple of locations. Yeah. And it, and hopefully we won't even, I want to know how to do that and when to do that, but hopefully that will never be needed. Like in the case of the COVID shots, it was illegal for the employers to mandate them. It was illegal right. for the governor to mandate. <laughs> it says right in the um, EUA authorization that you cannot mandate these things, right? I mean, not those is, that right. exact word, but you, you cannot do it. Which is agreeing um, with U.S. Code, uh, you know, twenty. Uh, Brian Ward's website had the right, code, right. Code is it right on there? E sixty triple B dash three for the informed consent portion of our U.S. Code, our laws. Yes. Yeah. 
it says you can't be coerced, you can't be penalized, and you just right. have the right to say no without exactly. Penalty. Yeah. So yeah. just amazing how that's gone. And I, I like the fact that he's trying to get something more codified. I think that's what happened is we still haven't had many case law successfully suing to preserve informed consent. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in the code. Our our language, I think, is weak compared to what the Nuremberg Code really said. Yeah. Every country that signed on to the mm-hmm. code, uh, was basically part of that treaty then, were assigned to adopt that those findings into their yeah. state, their country law. And I think the U.S. did a really weak job of it. And they very very specific about only in experiments. Yeah. But every time you take a, mil- a medical procedure, it's an experiment. You guarantee the outcome? No. No. Makes it an experiment. You get Every in- time you take a medical product. Exactly. That should always protect you. And and those codes, you know, there, there's just so many angles. You know, every if the circumstances can change, and then it becomes that's why you always have post-marketing studies. Because a particular product, when it first rolls out, the FDA says we can't possibly know all this. Most side effects, most injuries are learned after they go to market. They know that. So it's always in that experimental stage. You never stop the post-marketing stage. And then something else could be introduced environmentally, which makes something that was formerly not toxic, suddenly it is toxic because we have an interaction that never existed before. Mm-hmm. For the COVID shots, there was um, they stopped the phase three trial studies after I forget how many weeks and unblinded everything. So we have no long-term safety data and we never will. The licensing is absurd. The fact that they would be licensed, but they set the stage. Now there's no vaccine that is unnecessary enough, unsafe enough, ineffective enough that they will not license it um, and push it on the American public. That's that's exactly uh, where we are. Oh, I had a thought of something I wanted to bring. Oh, that brings us to your and I's um, sort of piece of the puzzle. And I'm going to give uh, kudos to Lisa Templeton here because it was many hours, late hours at night that she and I drafted together. In fact, it was year before last. We celebrated New Year's Eve together. Me in Tennessee and her in Washington. I'm like, it's New Year's Eve. Drafting a bill, the Restore Trust and Public Health Bill. Um, and so you're running that in Washington and we've got a version here in Tennessee that we're going to be running. And I, I think that's so important piece of the puzzle of everything that's going on because the coercion aspect is coming from public health. Public health is marketing Mm -hmm. and saying things Mm -hmm. about medical, they're lying through, um, saying things that are not backed by science like the shots are safe during uh, pregnancy. That's a falsehood. They don't know that. You know, they like to say, oh, there's no evidence showing it causes harm. Well, we know there is evidence showing causing harm, but what they really mean is they have not done the long-term safety studies. So they wordsmith. And then there's lies by omission. The omission is, hey, vitamin D, iodine, zinc, ivermectin, you know, the lies by omission. And so the Restore um, Trust and Public Health Act um, language would limit the Department of Health from saying anything about a drug vaccine or medical device that the manufacturer of those products cannot say. 
So the FDA licensing regulations, the EUA um, regulations, all of that were put in place a long time ago for consumer protection, limiting what can be said about products. So if the Department of Health can only say what Pfizer can say or what Merck can say regarding these products, we will roll back a whole lot of the propaganda um, that's going on. So I know it's kind of a long shot in Washington, <laughs> but it is very educational because I don't know about you, but anybody that I've talked to, any politician about it, they're going, wait a minute, isn't that already the law? You mean they're allowed to say things that aren't true. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah, they have a, they have a lot to get over when yeah. I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Awful lot to get over. So two minutes to go, Bob, this has been a great two hours. Good. Um, um, I think we're kind of pushing off the election result update. Oh, uh, oh I'm, give I'm a shout so out to a couple of our winners. Yes. Do that. Do that, please. Right. So in, uh, I think it's just interesting. I took a quick survey well, we do have Vote for Health Freedom as one of our uh, friendly organizations, and it's mm -hmm. a tab on our website. And Stand for Health Freedom did a survey in the state and found some uh, health freedom supporting uh, candidates. And so we've uh, got a couple winners across the state. Uh, Jennifer Kilman is a Mead School Director Mead mm -hmm. County, uh, in Spokane County. And uh, we got a couple close races. There's a Snohomish School District a uh, race where Sherry Larkin is in the lead by about half a percent. Mm. And Vincent Cavallari is running for city of Mill Creek Council position five. He's got about a full percent lead. And that's as of today. So, uh, or as of yesterday, I guess. Yeah. And, so and, we're, and we're not in, ready to count. We're not endorsing candidates. We're just telling you about medical freedom pledged candidates. So I'm going to share mm -hmm. with you, um, stand for health freedom, stand for health freedom.com. They, they do surveys. We do help them out with the surveys. Um, and then they make voters guide to help you find the medical freedom stance stance of, oh, we've got a close here, of candidates. So educate yourself before you make, uh, before you cast that vote. Well, um, Bob, it's been a pleasure spending two hours with you um, and everyone here. Thank you as always for tuning in and for supporting the show for free speech on the air. Um, we've got more guests that are going to be uh, lining up. So we hope you'll be tuning in again. We've got the new health hour and the Liberty hour. So you've been listening to Inform Life Radio, the Liberty hour on 1150 AM KKNW. And we'll see you next week. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. 
Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.